If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you open them to the book of Luke, chapter 15. The book of Luke, chapter 15, one of my favorite passages as we continue to walk through our new series, Lies We Believe and the Truth That Sets Us Free. And the, the focus of this series is the danger of wrong belief and how it can lead to a devastating cycle of, of wrong belief, wrong action, um, destructive behaviors, uh, and thoughts and that we, we biblically identify as, as a stronghold. It's a cycle that uh, goes on and on. It feeds itself. It gets worse and worse. And so it kind of looks something like this. We've kind of got an image we've been walking through is that and when we think the wrong things, right, when we, we, we believe a lie, then that changes the way that we feel. It changes the way that we feel about ourselves. It changes the way that we feel about God. Uh, and when we believe the wrong thing, it also changes the way that we act. And, and when we begin to act in the wrong way and feel in the wrong way, those two things then can reinforce the lie that we've believed and it becomes this destructive cycle that we call a stronghold. And if you've ever been there, if you've ever uh, found yourself in that place, you know that that is not just a difficult place to be, but it is a place of bondage, right? Of course, we know that because of this, we become captive, to these wrong beliefs. We become captive to these wrong thoughts. We become captive to these wrong feelings. We cannot escape. But luckily, praise God, there is one who has come to set the captives free. His name is Jesus, and he is the way and the truth and the life. And he says that if we know his word and if we continue in his word, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And that is what our hearts long for is freedom. And so this morning, that's what we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for freedom for any that, like the young man we will study today, have believed a terrible, terrible lie that holds them in bondage, okay? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. We ask that you would come now and that you would meet with us in a powerful way. Holy Spirit, we want to recognize that you are the teacher of this church And so we come now and we ask for wisdom, that you would grant us wisdom, that we might understand the word of God, that you would be our teacher and our guide, that you would teach us from the inside out, that you would transform both our minds and our hearts, that we might leave looking much more like you than we did when we came in. Jesus, do what only you can. Bring us to life. Set us free. In your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm in Luke chapter 15, and this morning we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells about a man that made some really bad decisions. Those bad decisions uh, led him, drove him to a pretty difficult place, and in that difficult place, in that pit, he believed a lie, okay? In that pit, in that place, he believed a lie. I am in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Let's look at the word of God together. This is what it says. It says, He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, forgive, uh, father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the young Gerson gathered together all that he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed 
pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the story goes that the son leaves the father. And he doesn't just leave the father, but he actually demands that the father would give him his inheritance early You can imagine the offense and the hurt that that might cause a a dad. Maybe you've been estranged from a parent or a parent's been uh, estranged from you because of maybe your actions and you kind of think about the hurt that is there. And and so the son says to his dad, listen, I just want my money. I want what's due to me. And And then he goes off and the Bible says he wastes it. He, he squanders it, is the word. And, and we don't know exactly what he does, though the older brother later when we read um, says that he, he spent it uh, on, on, on wine and on women. And he, he wasted it, right? And, and listen, he blows every penny of it. None is left. And it says once it is all gone, once, once that happens, then a severe famine hits the land. And, and man, now that he has no money left, he has to go to work. Of course, jobs are tough in that kind of environment, and the only place of employment at that point is a putrid pig pen. And the text tells us how the young man felt as he sat there with those pigs, right? He felt ashamed. It's in verse 19. I've got it on the screen. He, he, he says, hear the shame in this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you you hear the hurt? He sees his sin all too clearly. He knows exactly what he's done. And so he thinks, well, I'll go back to my father. Like, even my father's hired servants are better off than me. But there's no way that I can ever be a son again. That's what he believes. There is no way that I can ever undo what has been done. There is no way that I can fix this mistake that I have made. He's saying this can't be fixed. What I've done can't be forgotten. What I've done can't be forgiven. He's saying my past has forever changed who I am and who I can be. I believe Jesus tells this story for many reasons, but one of the reasons he does so is because he knows how many people can identify with feeling like this. I'm not worthy, right? This can't be fixed. What I've done can't be forgotten. It can't be forgiven. God can't use me. And so here is the lie that the young man believed and the lie that I fear many of us have bought into at one time or another. Ready? Here it is. My past is unredeemable. My past is unredeemable. Sure, God is good. 
Maybe salvation is available, but there is nothing he can do about my past, about those mistakes that I've made, right? My past is unredeemable. God can't use me because of the things that I've done. What I've done can't be fixed. I'll just settle for being a servant. If that's you, if you've ever felt that way, I just want to share three truths with you from the Bible. Some of them might hurt a little bit, but we need to hear them anyway. Here's the first thing that we need to know, okay? Number one, we need to remember that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save sinners, right? That's the whole point. The story of the gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners, right? That's the story. Jesus knew what he was doing. He's not surprised by the sin of your past. He's not caught off guard by your past mistakes. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful passage. It says this in verse 5, it says that we should adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. And now it's going to tell us exactly what Jesus has done, starting in verse 6. It says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humility. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus chose to empty himself. He willingly chose to humble himself, to become a servant to the point of death. And the question is, and did he know what he was dying for? Did he know the kind of people that he was giving himself up for? Look at this, Romans 5, 8. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And and you read about what Christ did. You you read about him stepping out of heaven and into humanity and and, and humbling himself to to the point of death, becoming a servant. And you you, you ask yourself, well, well, did did Jesus know what he was getting in return? And and Romans 5.8 declares, yes, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting. He, He knew that you would have a past. He knew that you would make mistakes. Yet he chose to do it anyway. He knew exactly what he was getting. Rebellious people, enemies of God, people prone to sin, people prone to wander. Jesus isn't surprised by your sin. In fact, just the opposite. He came and lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve because he knew that we were sinners. It's why he came. He knew that we would fail, that we would fall. He knew that we all would. And so when we find ourselves feeling ashamed, and and hear me, I'm I'm talking about shame. I'm not talking about sadness or hurt because of our our past sins, right? That's actually a good thing. Hurting because of your sin is a good thing. By the way, that's a good sign. If you're here and, and your heart hurts because of what you've done, that's a good sign. Guilt leads us to repentance, friends, okay? Guilt is from God. Shame, however, moves beyond guilt. Guilt calls us to repentance. Our heart hurts. We see that we have sinned before a holy God. And we say, God, I am so sorry. But shame is something else. 
Shame is something that, that puts its foot on the neck of the sinner and holds him down and says, you'll never be more than this. Right? And when we find ourselves ashamed, when we find ourselves believing the lie of the prodigal, I am no longer worthy to return home. I'm not worthy of being your child. When we find ourselves in that place, in those moments, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. This is why Jesus came. Jesus, in fact, came because I'm not worthy. Jesus came and lived and died because I'm a sinner. Because I am broken. You get it? It's in those moments when we feel that deep shame. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Jesus came because of our prodigal nature. He came to seek and save sinners. That's the first truth we need to remind ourselves of. The second truth we need to remind ourselves might catch you a little off guard. Here it is. Ready? Any good that we have done is by the grace of God. Right? Any good that we have done. Like we, we just talked about the bad. Right? But, but you need to remember when you have this tendency to look back at all the bad you had done back in the day. You need to remember that any good you've done since then is only by the grace of God. Right? You see, when we look back on our past and we believe that it is unredeemable, that it can't be overcome, that it can't be fixed, that it can't be forgiven, we do so seeing how bad it was, how bad we used to be, right? Look at how bad I was back then. You ever spoken that word or phrase? You see, and when we do that, what we, what we forget, what we miss is that that very phrase implies that somehow I'm not that bad anymore. You see, we have this tendency to try to judge sin on some kind of scale of what we can see. And if it's really evident and all the outward stuff is there, we think, wow, I'm a really bad sinner. But I'm going to tell you, the worst sins in the Bible are the ones hidden deep in a man's heart. That's what Jesus would say. And so we can't, we can't judge uh, ourselves even based on some kind of scale on, on outward sin, but we have to realize the inward nature of sin still exists. Therefore, any good I've ever done or that I might do today or tomorrow is surely by the grace of God. And the problem when we don't see that is that it leads to the other half of the story that Jesus is telling. I call it the older brother syndrome, right? And so I'm back in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 25, it says this. It says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. You see, the story that we like to label of the prodigal son is actually a story of two sons, both with a damaged relationship to their father. One is living in shame and doesn't believe he can ever be a son again. The other is self-righteous and he thinks that he's the perfect son. Both have broken fellowship with their father. Neither is where they need to be. And sometimes we get this tendency, when we believe our past is unredeemable, we're looking back and seeing how bad we were, we're convincing ourselves that somehow now we're better. And when we begin to think those kind of thoughts, we always run the risk of becoming the person that starts relying on our own self-righteousness, not on the grace of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? you understand what I'm saying? Not long ago, we preached on this passage. I preached on this passage, and I said, who are you? Are you, you identify with the prodigal or with the older brother? And the sad thing is that many people that struggle with shame identify with the prodigal. But that's all of our stories at one time. The problem is, what we find is that many Christians that have been doing it a long time no longer identify with their prodigal nature. Now they identify themselves as the older brother. How sad is that? That at some point we start relying and thinking that we're good enough, right? So, so the truth is, Jesus came because we're sinners. We can't do anything good on our own. It's only from God, which brings me to the last point that's really important if we're going to wrap our minds around this. Ready? It's this. God uses our past brokenness to display his glory. It's the last thing we need to know this morning is that God uses our past brokenness to display his glory. Name someone in, in, in the Bible that God has used to do great things. You just, you, you can almost pick anybody, right? Say, well, well, what about Abraham? He was a liar, right? Well, what, about, what about Moses? He was a, a murderer. Well, what about David, the man after God's own heart? Well, he was a liar, a murderer, and an adulterer, right? I mean, I mean you go, well, what about Peter? He was a coward, what about Paul? He was a killer of Christians. So he says, well, what about, what, what, what about um, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm going to pick somebody. What about, what about Joseph? Well, you know, he was conceited. I, I mean, we, we, can, we can go through almost every hero in the Bible, and, and, and what you'll find is almost every single one of them carries some serious baggage. And yet God used all of them. Why? Stop and think, Why? Why didn't God just use the perfect people? <laughs> there weren't any. That's good. But why didn't he use the cream of the crop? Why didn't he use the people without these kind of large flaws? We could, again, say there weren't any, but surely there were others, right? I'll tell you my working theory, ready? God used these kind of people so that when people saw what happened through them, they wouldn't look to the people for the praise. They would point to God and say, that must be a work of God. It must be a work of God if, if God can deliver a nation, if a whole nation can be delivered with a dude like Moses, right? 
Because that dude had a temper and, 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 and killed people. It, it's amazing that any of the, I mean, Moses could have planned to kill them all, you know. I mean, I mean that's the kind of dude he was, right? I mean, it, it, it's amazing that an entire nation came from a guy like Abraham. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing what God did. It's amazing that Peter became the pillar of the church, the rock, right? That's, that's amazing that the coward become the, became the most Christ-centered preacher there was. That's, that's ama- it's amazing that somebody like Paul, who spent his life persecuting the way, could, could see Jesus and have an encounter with God and be radically transformed and become the greatest church planter in the history of the world. That's, that's amazing. And, and, and what does it do? He, who gets the glory? Well, God does, right? God gets the glory. So people would see God. They'd see how beautiful God is, just how, how masterfully and skillfully He uses broken people. I want you to look at this picture. It's pretty cool. It's called Kintsugi, Right? Maybe you want to say G, that's fine, Kintsugi. And what it is, it is a Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with precious metals. And so they take gold and silver and platinum, and they actually mix it into the resin that they're going to use to glue back together the pottery. And they do it this way on purpose, actually. Now, Now, think about it. They could have glued this together with just the clear resin, right? But these masters believe that that ruins the story of the object. You see, the whole art of Kintsugi is based upon the fact that both the breakage and repair are put on full display as part of the history of an object. So that you see the piece was at one time completely broken. And yet now it has been restored with beauty. The whole point is to actually show the cracks, to accentuate them. It's called the art of precious scars. The art of precious scars. And I believe that this is a picture of what God does with us, right? God takes our our past, God takes our brokenness, and He doesn't just put it together, but He puts it together in a way that accentuates His beauty, that accentuates His beauty and His splendor, right? So He takes our broken pieces and He puts them together, but He does so in such a way that people cannot help but see there was a master behind it. Right? And, and so it accentuates his, his redeeming love and grace. And, and he doesn't just put it together, but that's what he holds it together with. And that gold, that silver, that platinum, it, it shows us the redeeming love and grace of God that holds all things together so that both the breakage and the repair are on full display for others to see. And they say, wow, when we do it right, when we allow them to see it, they say, wow, man. If God can use somebody like Jason or Jason, right? If God can use somebody like Bob, if God can use somebody like Mark, if God can use somebody like Janice, then maybe, maybe there's hope for me. Do you see it? If God can use somebody like Peter, if he can use somebody like Paul, if he can use somebody like Rahab, Maybe there is hope for me.
It's the precious art of scars. So here's the lie, right? The lie is my past is unredeemable. God can't use me because of my past, because of my brokenness. What I've done can't be fixed. That's the lie, right? And here's the truth. Not only is my past redeemable, ready? It can be useful. God uses broken things. God uses broken things. All right. Let me give you some application this week. If you're here and you're working through this, uh, there are some steps that I believe you need to take. Okay? And, and, and here's the very first step, and it is crucial. Step one, you need to ask and accept God's forgiveness. You need to ask for and accept God's forgiveness. So um, if you've got that past and that's your story, and you have not brought that story to God, that story has not yet been redeemed, okay? So if you're here this morning and you feel that, that shame, you feel that deep regret because of past mistakes, um, may, maybe even current mistakes, maybe a, a, a way that you're living right now and you just feel it, um, part of the reason that you feel it is because you've never brought it to God to be redeemed. You never asked God to forgive it. Okay, and so so First John one nine says this. It says if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just, and He will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That means to make us as if we had never sinned before. So this is a big deal. So we have to start here. So so we've got to stop. Some of us. I'm I'm going to use some psychological uh, terms here. Some of us have repressed our past. We have pushed down our mistakes. We've decided, I don't want to think about those things. I'm not who I want, you know, I'm not that person any longer. So we kind of say that as a Christian, but the truth is we've never actually brought all that stuff to Jesus to be fixed. We've never done it. And so what you have to do, you bring those things before God. Just, God, I'm, I'm confessing those things, all, all of those past mistakes, all that past regret. I just want to bring it to you, and I'm going to ask that you would forgive me of every ounce of it. Right? I'm going to ask that you would redeem it. And so we have to start there with, with that forgiveness. Um, the Bible says that, that if we do that, we will be forgiven, we'll be purified of all unrighteousness. Okay? Here's the second step. Many of you have done the first step. Right? You're like, I'm a Christian. I've already, I've already asked God to redeem all of my sin. That's great. Hallelujah. Praise God for you. Um, but a lot of you don't do this part. Forgive yourself. Right? So we're pretty good at saying, God, I need you to forgive me. God, I'm, I'm so sorry for my sin. I know that because of my sin, I'm lost and, and I deserve hell, God. I'm just asking and pleading, would you forgive me? Would you cover my sin? I want to be with you. I want to be your child. And we're like, God, please forgive me. He's like, yes. God's like, yes, you're my son. Yes, you're my daughter. And then we walk around. Instead of looking up to our father, instead of seeing all that he's created, we walk around with our head down in shame. Because even though God has forgiven us, we cannot manage to forgive ourselves. I want to talk to you about some of the real world, real world implications for that, if that's where you are. So the first greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind and strength, right? What's the second greatest commandment? Okay. Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. So let me pose this question. Do you love yourself? Because if you won't forgive yourself, then you don't love yourself. And let me ask you this. If you don't love yourself, if you won't forgive yourself, how forgiving can you be to others? 
How loving can you be to the world? Like, like Jesus actually said, like, this is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. We're supposed to love one another the way that we love ourselves, but we don't forgive ourselves. And if we don't forgive ourselves, how can we forgive others? And therefore, can we really truly be the light of the world? Are we living out on mission? And my, my, my response is going to be, no, we're not. If we don't forgive ourselves, we're not. And so I want to say this to you lovingly, but if you're one of those people that you cannot get over your past, you've given it to Jesus, but you cannot forgive yourself. I just want to say this lovingly, because sometimes we need to be pressed a little bit. And so so let me press in just a little bit. Um, What makes you think that you're the exception? What makes you think that you're the exception that God can't forgive? I mean, really, because that's what you're saying. You're saying, that, well, I, I, I've asked God to forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. I can't move on. I can't get past it. I can't believe that God can use it. Who are you? What do you think you've done? How, are, how do you think you're that much worse than anyone else in the world? Like, you need to get over yourself. I say that in love. Like, you just got to get over yourself. That is a prideful statement to think that you are, 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 are like, there's no way that God could ever use you. He can use everybody else, but not me. Man, I'm really messed up. I'm the messed up of the messed uppers. It's like you've you got a trophy of your sin. Put it on display for all to see. Listen, you've got to deal with it. Paul dealt with it. He, he, he had no problem saying, hey, I'm the greatest of sinners. But he dealt with it. God put it on, on display for all to see, right? You've got to forgive yourself. Last thing is, is, is uh, and this is a hard one for, for people. Last one I'm going to tell you, you've got to let others see what God has beautifully and masterfully done in your life. You've got to let others see what God has beautifully and masterfully done in your life. Uh-huh. And I, I, maybe another way to say this is stop trying to hide God's handiwork. Okay? So we're all, we're broken. We have, we have like messed up things in our past. Um, we try to use the clearest resin possible to have our lives pieced back together, right? We do. Like, we don't, we, we don't even want people to see the cracks in, 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 in our, like, we, we, we work very hard as, as little Christian makeup artists trying to cover the cracks. Like, nope, look, nope, 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 it's good. Nope, this dish has never been broken. See that? Man, look good. Polished on the outside. It's shiny. Look at me, right? Look at me. Woohoo! We just, just, oh, I'm good. I've polished it up. You can't even see it. And we spend our lives trying to hide the handiwork of God. We, we spend our lives trying to cover up the grace of God. Trying to cover up the goodness of God. Trying to cover up the beauty of God. Right? God's saying, like, listen, I fix broken people. That's what I do. And I do it so I receive the glory as the master artist. As the one that can take anyone that's broken and make them beautiful. And we spend our lives trying to cover the beauty of God so nobody else will see how backwards is that? Amen? So here's what I'm saying. Like, listen. I'm not saying that everyone you see, you have to point out every crack. But here's the whole bowl, man. Here's every story. But what I am saying is when the Holy Spirit prompts you to share your brokenness, you better point to the crack that needs to be pointed to. When you have an opportunity to share with somebody that's hurting and you know in your past you've gone through that and God has redeemed it, you better open your mouth and stop worrying about what somebody else would think and minister to them. Oh, let me tell you, 
I've struggled with doubt too. Oh, let me tell you, I've, I've made great mistakes too. Let me share my story with you. Look at how good God is. He can take that brokenness and he can make it beautiful. All right? That's the place we've got to get to. That's the place we've got to get to. I pray, I pray, I pray that you'll allow God to get you to that place. Okay? Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for loving us. Lord, um, this is a tough one. For many of us in the room, we have struggled here. Right here. Because there is old stuff that we have repressed, that we have almost hidden, that we do not like to talk about. And we honestly have kind of convinced ourselves it's just not part of our Christian story anymore. We've tried to shine up our testimony, tried to cover up all the cracks and crevices so that we just look beautiful. But we live in a broken world. And the world doesn't need to see perfection like you've already come. (laughs) What they need to see is what happens when perfection runs into brokenness. And that's that the perfection fixes the brokenness. And the end result is something that is beautiful and that can only be achieved by the grace of God. So Lord, let us receive that today. Let us break free from that lie that we have to hide all of our past mistakes. And let us instead walk in the freedom that you are a God that can redeem them. Holy Spirit, if there's anyone here right now that has never asked you to pick up their broken pieces, that has never cried out to you for salvation, it's never cried out Uh, to Jesus. Jesus, please save me from my sin. Please take this mess that I've made and make it something beautiful. Um, Lord Jesus, today, by the power of your Spirit, would they just do that right now in their heart? It's right now in their mind. Would they just cry out and say, God, I need you. I need you to take this mess that I've made. I need you to forgive me. I need you to put me back together. I am yours. Just take me. Oh, King Jesus, be glorified in our midst today. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen.